The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Well, good morning. And good morning to all of you who are joining us online as well. We're so glad that you are with us this morning. I wonder, have you ever felt stuck in the wilderness? A number of years ago, when my boys were small and before our daughter was even born, um, I was the speaker for a week at Horn Creek Family Camp out in Westcliff, Colorado. And uh, yeah, some folks that have memories, great memories from going to Horn Creek. And so we were out there together as a family. And one day there were a bunch of families from the camp that were going to make the trek to the Great Sand Dunes National Park and, and get to play in the sand. It's an amazing spot. And the thing is, is that there's two routes to get there. There's the long way and the short way. The long way is you get in the van and you drive for several hours around the mountains to get to the sand dunes. The short way is you drive about 30 or 45 minutes from camp and you get out and you hike through a mountain pass and you get there much quicker. And we were assured that despite the fact that we had like a first grader and a three-year-old, that this is not a really long hike. It's not a really hard hike. And while that might not have been a really long hike and a really hard hike, it was a lot longer and a lot harder than I think they let on. So we made the trek, and, and it was made longer and harder by the fact that our, our first grader, our, our son Will, was so inquisitive. He wanted to stop and look at every bug and, and every lizard and every uh, bright leaf. And uh, it was also made longer and harder by the fact that our three-year-old, Pearson, wanted me to carry him on my back the whole time. And I was younger and in better shape at that time, and yet still, making this hike with a three-year-old on your back, was, it was quite a trek. Well, we got there to the sand dunes and we played. And the idea was we were taking the short route there and we were going to take the long route back. We were going to ride back in, uh, in the van. And so we just played and had a great time and exhausted ourselves. But by the time we realized the time of day it was, there was this dawning realization that taking the long route, we, we, we weren't going to get back in time for the evening gathering. And did I mention I was the speaker for the evening gathering. The only way that I was getting back in time was if I took the short route, if I went back on that trail. And so I loaded up Kim and the boys in the van and I took off on the trail by myself. And, and, and to make it back at, in time at all meant I, I had to book it. I had to go as fast as I possibly could to try to get to my car, to try to get there so that I'd be ready to speak that evening. And so I am just, I'm taking this trail as, as quick as I possibly can. I am winded, I'm exhausted, and, and I'm making my way through. And I come to a point where there was a fork in the trail that I didn't remember. And I had no idea which way to go. I mean, I could go one way, and, and in just a few more minutes, I would be back in my car, and I'd be off to camp. And, and I could go another way and, and not know how long it would be before I would see civilization again. And I'll never forget standing there in that moment, feeling exhausted, confused, anxious, and afraid. As you might be able to tell by the fact that I'm standing here, I made the right choice at the fork in the path. Um, I made it back and I was able to teach that night. But, but I'll never forget that moment, being stuck in the wilderness. And maybe you've never literally been stuck in the wilderness, 
But I have a feeling that we can all relate to the feeling of spiritually feeling stuck in the wilderness. I have a feeling that all of us can relate to feeling exhausted, confused, anxious, or afraid. In fact, for some of you, I have a suspicion that those words strike a place in your heart in the midst of your present experience. Exhausted, confused, anxious, afraid. You ever felt stuck in the wilderness? This morning we're going to look at a psalm from David. A psalm that David wrote when he was literally stuck in the wilderness. And his wilderness wasn't the plush green wilderness of uh, southern Colorado. His was the arid, dry, desert wilderness of ancient Judea. And, And what we find when we look at this psalm is that David gives us some really important insight for our own lives. We are, as you may know, in the the sixth and final week of a sermon series uh, called Past to Peace, focusing on the Psalms. This summer, we're we're doing an exploration of the biblical wisdom literature, that big chunk in the middle of our Bibles that provides God's wisdom, which proves for us to be the pathway to peace. And, uh, And so over the course of these weeks, we've looked at the ways in which the Psalms put on display for us the full gamut of human emotions. And uh, we're going to see that together this morning as we turn our attention to Psalm 63. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to take it out or to turn it on and to scroll with me to Psalm 63. The, uh, the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann has observed that the Psalms sort of fit a threefold pattern. That all the Psalms kind of come from one of three different places. Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation. And Psalms of reorientation. That that all the Psalms fit that kind of basic pattern. Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And and isn't that because that really reflects the patterns of our lives, right? That we all find ourselves at one season or another, either either in a time of orientation, when when sort of all is right with the world. When I feel secure and, and stable. Or disorientation. When things are just not right with the world. When things in my heart or things in my life are not the way they're supposed to be. And I find myself completely disoriented. And then Psalms of reorientation. When I'm coming out of those seasons, those experiences, those circumstances of disorientation. I'm having my heart reoriented to God. This Psalm this morning is a psalm of reorientation. The setting is that David is, uh, has fled from Jerusalem. He's the king. He's, he's had a nice long reign at this point. Um, all the experiences we've talked about in the recent weeks have transpired. But now he finds himself where he's had to flee Jerusalem, flee from his son Absalom, who is uh, trying to take over, a coup to take over his father's throne. Sissy talked about that last week. And it's a very disorienting experience in David's life. As he has this experience with his son and he has to flee Jerusalem. But he goes to the wilderness and there he meets God. That after this experience of disorientation, David now in the wilderness finds himself being reoriented. 
You see, the wilderness throughout the Bible is a powerful symbol for our experiences of disorientation. The the wilderness is a metaphor for those experiences, those circumstances in our lives that make us feel disoriented. But throughout the Bible, the wilderness is also always an invitation to renewal. And so you can remember that in those seasons of wilderness, God is inviting you in the wilderness to meet him anew. And so as I studied this psalm this week, I studied these words from David. I found myself confronted by four questions. Four questions that that I think are questions for souls stuck in the wilderness. Four questions that help us to experience reorientation in our hearts and lives. I want to first just look at the whole psalm so you have a sense of the whole thing from the beginning. And then I want to make some observations that are are what lead me to these four questions. Psalm 63, David writes, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. I'll be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I will sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. And all who swear by God will glory in him. While the mouths of the liars will be silenced. The first question that I found myself confronted by when reading David's psalm of reorientation is where are my longings? Where are my longings? In the midst of feeling stuck in the wilderness, where are my longings? Because David in this psalm uses this strong language to describe his longing for God. Look back there at verse one. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry land where there's no water. I, I, I seek, I thirst, I long. This language that describes where his deepest longings lie. And David says, my deepest longings are for God himself. And I think we have to ask the question, where do my longings lie? Now, I don't know about you, but when I find myself stuck in the wilderness, my deepest longing is get me out of the wilderness, right? And David, David uses language here, he says, in a dry and parched land. Where there is no water. And David here isn't speaking metaphorically. He is literally in a dry and parched land. What's my longing in a dry and parched land? Give me water. 
But David talks about his longing in the wilderness. It's for God himself. Now think about it. David is the, the king of Jerusalem at the, at the height of Jerusalem's or the height of Israel's regional dominance. David is the most powerful and the richest man in his known world. David has the best of the best back in Jerusalem. He's got the finest of the finest back in Jerusalem. Right? He, he's got the, the best chef prepared meals. He's got the best wine that that region offers. He's got the companionship of a beautiful woman. He's got sexual fulfillment. He's got a huge, comfortable bed to sleep in at night. He's got the, the most, the best comforts and pleasures that the world has to offer back in Jerusalem. I'm thinking if I was out there laying on the hard, rocky ground, my longing would be to be back in Jerusalem. My longing would be for my bed back home. But here David finds himself separated from all of that. He finds himself alone. He finds himself sleeping on the rocky ground. He, he, he finds himself completely cut off from all of that comfort and all of that pleasure. But rather than longing for that, David says, I'm longing for you, God. You are what I really most deeply long for. You are what I really most deeply need. He captures this pretty powerfully down in verse five when he says, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you, right? In you, God, I will be fully satisfied like with the richest of food. And the Hebrew text here actually says, like the fat of fatness, right? Fat and fatness will satisfy me. I'm satisfied in you. And if any of you watch the the um, food network, you know, fat equals flavor. David's had the opportunity to experience fat and fatness. He's had the opportunity to experience the richest of food. And he says, you, God, satisfy my soul like that. I have to be really honest with you. I found myself uh, convicted reading this little line. Because when I find myself exhausted, confused, anxious, and afraid, I reach for food. What do you reach for when you're exhausted, confused, anxious, and afraid? It's a really important question to ask when we find ourselves in the wilderness. What do I reach for? What do I long for? Because asking and answering that question helps reveal our idols. Those things that we have come to love and trust more than God. When you find yourself feeling disoriented, when you find yourself stuck in the wilderness, where are your longings? So first question, where are my longings? Second question, how is my memory? <laughs> how is my memory? Look what David says in verse two. He says, I have seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. Well, what David is doing here is he, he is remembering his experience of God. 
That as he finds himself here isolated, alone, stuck in the wilderness, he is remembering the ways in which he has encountered God's presence and God's power in his life. He's remembering God's goodness, God's kindness, God's love. He's remembering God's faithfulness, God's redemption, God's grace. He's remembering God. And we've talked about before the idea that that one of the most important words in what we might call the spirituality of the Old Testament is the Hebrew word zakar. Let me hear you say the word zakar. Zakar. Yes, zakar means simply to remember. But you see it over and over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. Why? Because we're so prone to forget. We're so prone to forget to remember. And when we find ourselves in the wilderness, when we find ourselves in those experiences of disorientation, when we find ourselves exhausted and confused and anxious and afraid, we're particularly prone to forget. David says, I remember you. I've seen your power and your glory in my life. That word zakar shows up further on down in verse six. He says, on my bed... I, Zakar, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. David says, when, when I lay down in bed at night, I remember you. When David lays there on that rocky ground, he remembers God. His faithfulness, his goodness, his loyal love that he says is better than life wonder what you think about when you lie down in bed at night. Um, interestingly, David has this little line in there. He says, I think of you through the watches of the night. Right? What do you think about when you wake up at 3 a.m.? Right? The first thing I think about is I need to go to the bathroom, but that's sort of not really part of the illustration. But at 3 a.m., to be honest with you, what I often think about is you. I think about us. I think about our staff. I think about our finances. I think about some of the really, really hard things that I know some of you are walking through. And sometimes I find myself more often than I'd like to admit laying there in my bed and, and worrying about all those things. David says when, when, when he wakes up at 3 a.m., he remembers God, his goodness, his faithfulness, his loyal love that is better than life. How's your memory? So where are my longings? How is my memory? Third question, how is my worship? How is my worship? You, you hear all that worship language that, that David uses here? Beginning in verse three. Um, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. I'll be satisfied, um, fully satisfied as with the richest foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Multiple references here to praise, to, to, to worship. 
Because David recognizes that part of the process of reorientation comes through our worship. Here he's writing a worship song about singing worship songs. Because he recognizes that part of the process of our reorientation comes through our worship. So how's my worship? That's part of this reorientation process. When we talk about worship, we talk about giving our attention, our affection, and our allegiance to God. That's ultimately what worship is all about. Giving my attention in the midst of a world filled with distraction. Giving my affection in a world that's got all kind of uh, competitors for my heart's love. Giving my allegiance, a sense of loyalty, dedication, not only to offering God my words, my lips, but also my life. A life of worship. Worship is about giving God our, our attention, our affection, and our allegiance. And so when we find ourselves in the wilderness, we ask, where have I been giving my attention my affection, and my allegiance. Because often, when we really examine that, what we find is that those things that are getting our attention, our affection, and our allegiance, other than God, are actually contributing to the exhaustion, the confusion, the anxiety, and the fear. There's this, uh, this line that David says down in verse 7. Look at it there. He says, because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. It's a beautiful image. The image of a a mother bird who raises her wings when uh, the storms of life or when the the threats of this world um, assail her tiny brood. She raises her wings and the the tiny brood, those, those little baby birds just crawl up underneath the mother's wings and find shelter and find safety and find security there. It's a beautiful image. I came across a sermon uh, by a theologian named Cornelius Plantiga, which by the way, I think if your name is Cornelius, you're sort of destined to become a theologian, right? Um, But I came across this sermon from Cornelius Plantiga uh, years ago, right after I lost my dad. Um, a sermon that really seized upon this imagery of the wings of God in which we take refuge. And he says something there very powerful. He says this, we are like the fledglings who scuttle under the wings of the parent. The forces of evil beat on those wings with everything they have. The pitchfork of the evil one falling tree limbs in the storm, rain and hail, everything beats on those wings. When it is finished, when evil has done its worst, those wings are all bloodied and busted and hanging at wrong angles. And to tell you the truth, in all the commotion, we get roughed up quite a bit too. But no final evil can get to us because those wings have never folded. They are spread out to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And when the feathers quit flying, we peep out and discover that we've been in the only place that was not leveled. Yes, we have been bumped and bruised and hurt and sometimes badly hurt. But the other choice was to be dead 
I mean that the other choice was to break out from under the embrace of God. The truth is that I have not, that if we have not stayed under those wings, we could never have felt the body shudders and heard the groans of the one who has loved us so much that those wings stayed out there no matter what came whistling in. This is the one who protects us from final evil. Now and the life to come. The life in which at last it is safe for our God to fold his wings. And David says, I sing in the shadow of your wings. Because David knows that part of the process of reorientation for our souls comes through worship. How is your worship? Where are my longings? Um, what's the second one? How, are, how is my memory? Third, <laughs> the irony of that one being the one that I forgot. <laughs> where are my longings? How is my memory? How is my worship? And then finally, where is my trust? Where's my trust? Look what David says in verse eight. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become like food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him. While the mouths of liars will be silenced. Now, when, when you read the Psalms, you sometimes find yourself coming across these kinds of verses that they refer to the enemies of the one who is writing the Psalm. And, and sometimes we sort of go, uh, how, how am I supposed to sort of think about that and apply that to my life? Well, sometimes it is that we have enemies that we feel some sense of the need for vindication from. And it's just a reminder that we trust God for our vindication, that we don't need to vindicate ourselves. But even beyond the the literal sense of enmity with other people, sometimes we can read these kinds of words and just recognize that it has to do with the, um, it speaks to the struggles, the the difficulties that that assail our lives. And it's ultimately the sense that God will prevail, that God will see me through. He says there at the beginning, your right hand upholds me. And again, throughout the Bible, what we find is the right hand is the symbol of strength. Sorry, lefties. Um, but, but the Bible uses this symbol. The, the right hand is a symbol of strength. This is David's way of saying, God, you are my strength. I trust in you. And we find ourselves in experiences of disorientation. We find ourselves stuck in the wilderness. We ask, where is my trust? Am I trusting in God or am I trusting in myself? That there's something deep inside of us that wants to say, I got this. I can do this. I can handle this. Right? I can get through this with my own strength, my own determination, my own willpower. And yet, David gives us this reminder of the reality of our weakness and his strength. My, your right hand upholds me. 
On Monday this last week, we uh, spent some time worshiping together as a staff. We just got together for our regular Monday morning um, all staff meeting and prayer. And we just spent some of that time just worshiping together. And one of the songs that we sang that morning was, uh, was a, a great old hymn that I sang growing up. And it starts out with these lines. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Right? This, the hymn opens with Jesus insulting us, right? Uh, no, it's, it's not an insult. It's just truth. And it's a truth that, that I seem to be, need to be reminded of over and over and over again. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray and find in me thine all in all. When I find myself in the wilderness, when I find myself feeling exhausted, confused, anxious, and afraid, when I find my life in the middle of disorientation, where is my trust? I got to tell you, friends, this was one of those sermons that that was very much for the preacher this week. I hope maybe there were some things in here that were for you too. But, but I have found myself in a bit of a stretch where I've just felt a bit of disorientation. Just things in my world that have kind of conspired against me to leave me feeling that sense of disorientation. And I hope it's okay for the pastor to be able to stand up here and say, I've been there. Because I know some of you have been there too. But in the middle of our disorientation, we come here to these words from David. We find ourselves faced with these questions. Where are my longings? How is my memory? How is my worship? Where is my trust? Will you join me in prayer? In these moments of reflection before we come to communion, there's just an opportunity for each of us to do some self-examination. So I'll offer you those questions one more time and just an opportunity for you to process before God. Where are your longings? How is your memory? How is your worship? And where is your trust? Father, I pray that um, from these questions of reflection, from the words of this psalm, that, that you might speak to each one of us and that we might respond as is fitting for where we are in our lives today. God, that that for some of us, it's a recognition that our longings have been misplaced and a reminder that ultimately we need to look to you and you alone to provide what we most deeply need. For some of us, just an opportunity to remember your faithfulness to us, your goodness, your grace in our lives. For some of us, a deeper level of commitment to be here to worship you that we might then live lives of worship unto you. And for all of us, that opportunity for us to 
deepen our sense of trust in you which means giving up on our sense of self-reliance. And Father, if there are any here today who have never come to that place for the very first time that they have put their trust in Jesus, I pray today might be the day that they would hear your call, your invitation to respond and to trust in you. And so move in our midst in these moments of response, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.